And a lot of our modern clients are under mutual non-disclosures that we <laughs> yeah. can't talk about today, but. Yeah, we, we talked about the very beginning, but like, who can we talk about who we can? We're like, well, it's pretty much everybody. Pretty much everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but that's part- okay. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. You hear Ryan and I, we talk about RTDs or ready-to-drink canned cocktails on our other show, This Week in Bourbon, all the time. And here's the reason why. Most of us got our start into bourbon because we mixed it with Coke or ginger ale. But the modern-day bourbon drinker, they're finding their path really through cocktails. And now that the seltzer craze has hit, getting your first taste of bourbon through an RTD could be the new gateway. And there's one company based in Louisville that has been the go-to place for every drinks company across the country, and they can create everything from flavored whiskeys, energy drinks, and of course, even RTDs, and that's Flavor Man. Brad Nichols and Jordan Plappert, they join the show today, coming from Flavor Man, and we get a deep dive into how the flavors are developed and how do we begin creating our very own bourbon-based RTD. It's a fascinating show that talks about the conception of ideas, and for a lot of us health-conscious people, how do we keep sugar volumes in check? And really, how big does your pocketbook need to be to even get started? But with that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Bill, who writes us on Patreon. While I love tasting different bourbons, I find that I cannot identify flavors and noses like you all can. Is it still possible to develop this skill at my age? He said he's 70. Or have my senses passed me by? Bill, it is very much true that as we grow older, our senses change. First, I must advise you to go see a doctor if this is like a major issue and like you can't taste anything or smell anything. Please go see a doctor. That is is very important. But also, one of the things that can alter taste and smell is the medication we're on. And of course, as we get we get older. We find ourselves on a on a great deal of uh, medications, whether it's a cholesterol medication, a heart medication, blood thinners, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we have to take as we get older. Those have a real impact on on how we taste, and also there is dry mouth. There is uh, there can be damage to salivary glands over the years. And interestingly, you know, the doctors, when, when you ask them about like how to improve your taste, one of the first things they say is like, well, stop, stop drinking alcohol. That'll help you. So your question is like, how can I taste alcohol better? <laughs> Which I find funny. But here is what has been recommended by doctors and also something that I do when I'm trying to kickstart my palate. Brightly colored vegetables are really good for helping you taste because those are there's a lot of bitterness in something like lettuce or broccoli. Like those bitter kind of uh, flavors are really, really powerful. And if you're if you can have like thyme or rosemary or sage, those kinds of herbs that can really make your nose work. You can smell them. They're very pungent. They're very powerful. Lemon, ginger, garlic, any kind of like spice, especially the Indian spices that will really cause your senses to go into overload. 
taste those, smell those, and you can actually adapt your palate. You can improve your palate even at whatever age you are. Now, if you're on medications that's keeping your taste buds back, a lot of medications do not list uh, how it impacts taste or smell, you know, especially things that were pre-COVID. Now you're starting to see it a little bit more on things that uh, impact taste and smell. Like I will not take a medication unless I've seen that there is a study or the doctor knows firsthand that it has an impact on taste or smell. So that's something to take a look at your medication, talk to your doctor about this, and also do not be afraid to jump into all these different spices, herbs, citrus, and vegetables. Vegetables are one of the greatest keys to improving your palate. You can ask some of my friends. I used to, when I was traveling on the road, I'd walk around with salad kind of like crunched in a, in a baggie. I remember going to a bar with uh, the folks from 291 and I pulled out of my my shirt some uh, some char, some char salad. And I started eating. And they're like looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? I was like, oh, I eat this. I eat these bitterness things to kind of help my palate. So all those tasting notes I give, believe me, I've uh, eaten some weird shit to get them. At any rate, that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you would like to be like Bill, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. Give 270 presents Whiskey Wednesdays Round 10, The Bourbon Vault. 24 amazing bourbons behind our 24 locker doors. For just $5 a ticket, you could score a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, a six-bottle Weller Vertical, and even a bottle of Old Forester Birthday Bourbon. Plus, each week, five lucky winners move closer to the ultimate grand prize, the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. For tickets, visit give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. It's that time of the year where everybody's starting to make their vacation plans on visiting Kentucky, the mecca of bourbon. And if you are coming to Kentucky, you need to make sure you visit us at Pursuit Spirits in Louisville. We're right in the heart of Clifton, near Butchertown and Nulu, and only just a few miles away from downtown Louisville. But when you do come, you need to book your experience to go do our whole shebang. This is the one that's really the star of the show. You get a full-on tasting. You get to do your own personal barrel selection experience. And you get to grab a whiskey thief and fill your bottle directly from the barrel. Or do something completely brand new that nobody else is doing here in bourbon country. Plus, you get a free sweet tasting glass at the end of it. I guarantee you, you're going to end up being one of the many people that's also leaving us a five-star review. So make sure you come and check us out. You can book your reservation by going to PursuitSpirits.com and clicking the Visit Us button. Have you tried to identify specific notes in bourbon when nosing and tasting, but just come up empty? Well, you can train your nose to find all those nuances with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. So you can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma made from chemicals. Head over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter the code BP10 for 10% off your order. From Jim Beam to Maker's Mark, their brand and label are the only things more iconic than a bourbon's taste. And that's why we've partnered with Sticker Mountain, a company focused on helping you make a statement with your labels and stickers. Embracing cutting-edge embellishment technology allows them to add foil, raise texture, and more to make your product stand out, all at competitive prices with market-leading turnaround and customer service that treats you like a business partner. 
And that's why right now you can get 10% off your order with coupon code STICKYBOURBON at StickerMountain.com. See the difference they can make for you and your business at StickerMountain.com using coupon code STICKYBOURBON. Always find what you love at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single-barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of their friendly guides. And with every bottle comes the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly and be 21. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here today talking about one of our favorite subjects because it seems like we do, of course, a show every Friday called This Week in Bourbon. And on This Week in Bourbon, there has been an insane rise, the development of ready-to-drink cocktails, the RTDs. I mean, it's just something that we've been infatuated with and we kind of see where the market's moving. So I'm very excited to be able to talk to our guests today about it. Yeah, it's RTDs are like this fascinating thing. Like I think COVID kind of catapulted them into the conversation because it's like so many people are now, instead of going on vacations, they were kind of doing time on the boat or beach or cabin, this and that. And it's like, you know, it's into, I think people, you know, are kind of moving away from, you know, typical like beers and whatnot, you know, beer products or even just like, well, the seltzer's great. The seltzer's, kind of really, really, killed the seltzer's I mean, really yeah. kind of instigated it, but even too, you're kind of like, ah, I, don't, I just don't like, you know, malt base is okay, but I kind of like vodka base or, and, and now bourbons kind of really like saw the trends with the, the seltzers and they're like, well, how can we get a part of this? And I feel like this was kind of going on like 20 years ago, but it never really like took hold, but it did in certain parts of the world. But now in the U S it seems like, I think I read in Mark Brown's newsletter that the other day that RTDs are projected like 200% growth in the next two years. And you're like, that's fascinating. You know, it's exciting time for it. It's, it's that, but I mean, it's just one of those things that you just love the category in general, ready to drink. It's there for you. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be your own cocktail expert or mixologist or whatever it is. You just pop the can or maybe it's open the bottle, whatever it is, and just pour it. And there's a lot of people that are doing this today. And I just feel that it, it cause it's, there's so much leeway of what you can do with this too, because if you are a, like an established bar or you have a brand, whatever it is, and you have your signature cocktail. Well, you can take that signature cocktail and turn it into something that you can really scale out. And I think that's really the cool part about what this could potentially be and how this category can grow too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I my family and I, we go to the lake a ton on during summers and and I'm a huge old fashioned fan and to pack Luxardos on the boat. Luxardos two things bitters, a, just, you know, a jigger and a stir. It's like, uh, but you get a good RTD and you just crack it open. And, put, and then two, the golf course, the, the possibilities are endless, you know, with these. And it's fun that you don't have to be like, you can get a good cocktail quality, but in a can. It's that's what's cool about it. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited to have our guests on today because our guests, they, they've been in the industry for so long, but they've always been kind of behind the scenes. Yep. And they're, they're the ones that are contracted out and talked to and usually by every brand. And they are the makers of pretty much a lot of the RTDs in the industry today. So I'm excited. Well, not to even have- that too, just like, I'm pretty sure they did like flavored spirits as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's uh, a lot of... Uh, 
It's in their name. It's Flavor Man. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So let's go ahead. The beverage Architects. Yes. There you go. I like that. Well, it's on his jacket. Yes. <laughs> the, the beverage. <laughs> right. I can't read. I'm glad you can. Yeah. <laughs> so today on the show, we have Brad Nichols. He's the Executive Director of Business Development, as well as Jordan Plappert. He's the Marketing Manager over at Flavor Man. So fellas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, for sure. So Jordan, I'll, I'll kind of start with you as we start going through this. When did you get into uh, whiskey and the Flavor Man and kind of how did you kind of progress in your career here? Yeah, it started about six years ago. I was still in school. I was looking for an opportunity to start getting into a field and use my skills. Uh, I came across an internship with Moonshine University. Uh, I reached out. I spoke with Colin Blake, our director of spirits education, and that's really where the conversation started. That internship led to me being a full-time designer. As a creative designer, you're positioned well to really evaluate a number of different processes and systems that are going on and apply those skills, not just to a visual solution, but you can do it with processes and efficiencies. And so that kind of mindset and education lend itself really well to when the void happened and there was an opportunity to then run more of those marketing strategies and campaigns really step up and start taking an active role and participating in those conversations. And, you know, with Flavor Man and Moonshine University being a network of brands, I ended up working on both sides of the business. Man of many hats is what we had <laughs> yeah, ended up yeah, being. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so, Brad, what about you? Kind of talk about your progression into this as the executive director. You must have been there for a little bit. Nobody just comes in as executive director. So kind of talk about your progression and how you got into the drinks business as well. Yeah. So I uh, had an opportunity during Western Kentucky University years to be a little starry-eyed. and oh, a little WKU action, yeah. huh? All right, Hilltopper. <laughs> Travel a little back in time. And absolutely, I worked at uh, Chuck's Wine and Spirits. And Chuck would point in, it was one of the great entities of customer service. And immediately someone would come in and say, hey, son, go load up that right there. And you take your dolly and you'd grab, well, there was 10 cases of beer or Evan Williams going out the door. I think when I worked there, it was the leading Evan Williams retailer in the state for four years. So I remember many fond memories of customer service. But I'm a philosophy and English literature major by trade. So distillation made perfect sense <laughs> of passion. And, uh, well, that, you're distilling down ideas in that. You know. <laughs> that, uh, that absolutely, uh, you know, Colin comes from, Colin Blake, our director of spirits education, comes from film background. And worked remotely for years. Colin's a character. I was like, I, I just finished Moonshine University, as some of our listeners may know. But Colin is kind of, I guess he's like the ringleader in all of it. He is so good at like this performance and theatrics to like keep you engaged and excited. I went up to him like, I'm like, dude, you had to be a comedian or actor or something. He's like, <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> he's a song and dance man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got it down. Comedy sketch background and absolutely, you know, Clay Smith, that's our distillery operations manager at Moonshine University, was an art professor at Western Kentucky University before. So I think one of the things that you always talk about in this industry is where you have to respect both the art and the science. But for me, it's it's 20 years of wholesale distribution background, retail background, had an opportunity to work for some great folks like Dogfish Head Brewing and Distilling, travel with Kermit Lynch wine merchants over the years and visit a lot of their fantastic vineyards, but always, always have the passion for returning home and, and being present and part of this great distilling industry. 
That's awesome. So I guess also for people that are they're unaware, I mean, we, we talk about in the intro, but give give the general overview of Flavor Man for people that are unaware of it. Well, Flavor Man, to give the quick 30,000 foot view, started in 1992. And it starts with Dave Defoe, who was the Flavor Man himself. And Dave worked for Brown Foreman for years. Dave would have been in the formulation lab. And with any good company mantra, you would sometimes when you come down and you just need something real quick, you'd say, hey, Flavor Man, work on this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that his nickname grew to be Flavor Man pretty easy. And Dave, you know, was essentially a master taster because Dave would go through blind tastings. He'd be able to pick out those extreme nuances, uh, which, you know, from genetics and science, you look at it's about 15 percent of male population and probably closer to 35 percent of female population that make up those characteristics to be able to do that. But Dave has an endless sea of fascinating stories over the years. And when I when I talk about the history of Flavor Man, talk about when Louisville had floods in 2008, 2009, and, you know, our building was under a foot of water. When Dave started the business in a two-bedroom condo in Louisville in 1992, an order was canceled the next week that, you know, was one of those situations that could immediately bankrupted the yeah. business. And then someone called from Brazil with an order that wanted basically a truckload of product the next week. And he had to rush samples to Cincinnati overnight. And the rest is history. Our first three clients were Jones Soda, Brown Foreman, and Chiquita Brands. A lot of our modern clients are under mutual non-disclosures that we <laughs> yeah. can't talk about today, but. Yeah, we, we talked about the very beginning, but like, who can we talk about who we can? We're like, well, it's pretty much everybody. Pretty much everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but that's part, okay. As part of the Moonshine University, it was cool. We got to go tour the facility and be do like, I'm, there, there's this legal binding contract. You're like, you can't say anything. I'm like, anything? <laughs> but uh, we're, yeah. we're on microphones every week. The, Def, define street legal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the fascinating thing, too, you know, and I, you know, I kind of forgot about this segment was, the energy drink kind of craze, you know, like I guess in the mid to late 2000s, how much involvement you all had with that. And that, that was talk about how you all got involved with the energy drink segment. I think one of the things that's so passionate, interesting when you give a tour of our facility is to talk about the brands and those brand owners and people and identities over the years. So even on the tour, you'll see through our walls where Jay-Z and Beyonce started to drink, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. There's Care Bears, Pedialites from 20 years ago that are on the wall. And to the energy drink space, one of my favorites that's on the wall is we have a uh, Saco energy drinks from Mick Foley, Saco fame. <laughs> oh my so, God, Mick Foley. You're talking yeah. WWF, like old school, like Stone Cold Steve Austin days. Oh, oh yeah. There's, yes. a, there's a Hogan can and the, the whole lineup, but the brand was called Saco. <laughs> uh, and it just doesn't get any more better in branding and time frame than that. Isn't that an amazing that like that caught, literally the dude held up a sock and like in a <laughs> ring and like use that as a shtick i don't know i guess that's just wwf marketing at its best but i don't know. anyway to keep that that kind of train going so you you really you touch all facets of the drinks business i mean you talk about energy we talk about ready to drink i mean is there something else that we're missing flavored whiskey like what else are we pedialyte i mean is is really there's there's nothing off the table when it comes to what you all can put your your hands in yeah, we always try to help folks change what the world is drinking. So it starts with that first vision, you know, and at some point we have to get into technical details of, oh, you got to process it this way. And absolutely, we got to make it safe for human consumption <laughs> and, you know, follow some FDA and TTB rules that are pretty important. 
but it starts with that passion and conception of what someone wants to do. And at this point in the journey, the, even the more creative, the better, right? What if, if you have a cocktail at home that you're looking to commercialize, it's a grandma's recipe that goes back four generations. That's, that's really rewarding work for us. Now I've yet to hear at my time at flavor man, I've never heard anyone say that my grandmother only used low caloric, naturally positioned sweeteners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Talk about, I guess, what, well, I don't want to jump the gun, I guess. Well, let's, yeah, uh, I, don't yeah, jump I got, the gun. I got, we'll I got one question that. before we kind of jump the gun and get into it, is that because the, the array of flavors, I guess, is, is the good use of, of the word, is like, how, how do you determine, like, what flavors do you offer? I'm sure there's, you have the rainbow, you got your, your orange, your red, your you know, your grape, your lime, lemon, lime. What's red flavor taste like? Uh, cherry, kidding. watermelon. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like kidding. I'm saying, like those are those are the generic flavors. But like, how how are they how are they built? Like, how do you how do you how do you create those flavors? And how do you discover new ones? Or have a client that says like, oh, I wanted to have this. Oh, like we we want a honeysuckle. It's like, oh, great. all right, we got to go in the woods in Kentucky. We got to go grab some honeysuckle. And we got to sit here and formulate this. Like, so kind of talk about what it is to just find something off the shelf versus something that has to be custom produced too. Yeah, and, it, and it's all custom flavors, no matter what we do. And so what I think it really boils so strawberry, down to... strawberries all custom? Yeah, right. Even though it's a strawberry, there's a thousand different ways you can create a strawberry flavoring. And that's what makes us so unique in the market, is that we have the experts and the expertise to really create the nuances in those flavors and create a totally unrecognizable strawberry flavor, but it's totally recognizable, right? So it's a little bit of both. It's something totally new that somebody's never tried, but it's, it reminds them of something that they're very comfortable and familiar with. And so you can do that with mixing a number of different flavors and then uh, adding complexities to them. I mean, I'm just, I'm very green to this. So I'm, I'm kind of just curious, like, do you have a, do you have a, like, is there, is there a, a strawberry base that you work from and layer it on or is it is there just, an organic with like, a do you traditional go, strawberry do you or? go and like pick your own strawberries to make the flavor like I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to dig into like how do we how do we get to that flavor yeah and so you know i'm not a flavorist and so i don't want to i don't want to position myself that way and our flavorist and director of flavor architect tom gibson would you know he'd probably be giving me some dirty looks if i start trying to explain flavor development right but initially all flavors are uh, comprised of different components that can be derived from any sort of uh, materials and raw bases that are then mixed together to create a flavor profile that resembles the flavor you're trying to achieve. And so a strawberry flavor might not contain any actual chemical components of that strawberry that you would have come out of the grocery store. It might be derived from, you know, something from a, a, a cherry pit or an orange or uh, a botanical element, a number of different other additional chemical components that go into it to create that finished flavor. Got it. And, and so I guess, and then to just kind of also satisfy this curiosity is, is how is everything actually, maybe you can't say it, but how is everything made? Can you, can you literally just, you just go and pick strawberries off the side of the road and, and mash that up to create the flavor? I mean, is it, is there a, is there a sugar base? Like I'm, and maybe there's something you can't talk about. I'm just, just curious about how do you create just that, just the product in general? Yeah, so you get into good old FDA and TTB classifications of those flavors. And FDA natural flavors will actually use resins and oleoresins and extracts from those flavors, for example. Uh, natural materials can be plant-based. They can be 
from specific animal base as well, depending on what that looks like. But for a strawberry, every time we go and buy strawberries at the grocery, you know, we forget at a very molecular cellular level that there's so many chemicals that are present within that entity. So every time you eat a strawberry, you eat linalool and octanol and ethyl butyrate. What on earth are those? And could you imagine if when you... I guarantee you, there's some listeners out there that know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. So get geeky with it. You know, when you when you start, uh, when you go and buy those strawberries, though, at the grocery, you're like, that. you wouldn't be like, well, do you have any that are a little more octanol today? <laughs> <laughs> The guy like last week's batch. Uh I'm sure the guy stocking strawberries is like, ah, (laughs) let me check in back. (laughs) So uh, if he comes back with a couple bottles of rare bourbon, none of us will. (laughs) So as uh, as you go through that process, it really is about then defining and understanding your, your customer. And I think that's where the art and the science really comes into play. Because if you have those homemade recipes or those benchmarks or even other products that you've liked over 20 years of tasting and evolved tastes, then you're trying to both match as well as exceed those expectations. So you can really take that strawberry of yesteryear and then understand what that strawberry of the future will be. Yeah, it's interesting because like, you know, as a kid, I always loved like blueberry flavored stuff, but like a blueberry doesn't... (laughs) necessarily tastes like what I get as a flavoring that I enjoy, you know, it's, and so like, I guess, you know, the odd thing is, is that even a blueberry, if you open the peel, it's not even blue inside, right? But everything is actually blue when it's like yellow is mush. It is. It is. It's like a grape. Yeah. And so you're saying like, okay, I got a blueberry. It has these exact chemical structure compounds. You're, you know, identifying those. And then you're saying like, okay, these compounds are here. I can recreate them with these compounds, not artificially, but, you know, manufacturally or whatever the word is, is that that can, that can be a part of the journey. And to what Jordan was talking about as well, you can also just the way that your senses interact with different chemicals, with different fruits, with different extracts, with different resins, that absolutely could be something that you never thought was part of a blueberry or strawberry in that example. And it could come from something completely different, like a mandarin or an orange or a yuzu or some sort of really cool fruit we don't even know about yet. (laughs) Dragon fruit, right? Let's kind of shift it a little bit because a lot of the topic of this episode was how do you, how do you make a whiskey based RTD? And I think this is probably one of the, it's gotta be one of the most challenging things to be able to do as well, because clear spirits, tequila, they are easy to be able to do. Malt is probably the easiest, but when you start thinking of clear spirits, it's easy to kind of add whatever flavors in because all you're doing is just adding alcohol. It's not really adding different kinds of, I mean, you're adding flavor, but you're not adding it to the, the flavor of the spirit per se. So the, the whiskey, I would imagine is probably the more challenging thing. So I guess talk, we'll start there is that if you have somebody coming in, like, do you, do you say like, ah, these spirits work, this spirit doesn't work. It, or do you say like, listen, it, we're, we're fair players here. We can, we can deal with anything. Starts with conception. So we do try to keep that fair play immediately. We try to look out for the technical parameters. So if you come in and you want to make whiskey based pickle shots, okay, the, (laughs) that pickle juice will turn it'll from the acetic acid will contribute esterification and create some of those sour notes. And I don't know if pickle shots are your thing. Uh, <laughs> we don't know yet, <laughs> but uh, I mean, cinnamon whiskey <laughs> seemed to take off at some point. So, well, a lot of people do Jameson and pickle shots, right? Yep. right. Picklebacks, yeah, picklebacks, yeah. 
But what you don't want to do is have that Jameson and that pickle juice mixed and, and leave that sitting around for a couple months. It's going to taste very different as that time passes. So that one of the things we talk about is, of course, stability has to come into play and how will the shelf life affect through these ingredients and conception. And you're seeing really different things. There was a, I looked up the other day, there was a distillery in New York that was putting mushrooms in bottles. Uh, okay. I was trying to do some mushroom different things. Now, I cannot speak to the organoleptic enjoyments of those, but obviously what uh, it's, it's just good to know they're trying things like that. <laughs> <laughs> they're putting fungus in a, in a con, you know, sealed container. Let's see what happens. So, all right. So at this point, somebody can come to you and you, and you basically say like, yes, carte blanche. What do you want? We'll, we'll try to make it happen. All right. So Ryan and I, of course, and listeners here, we love bourbon. So we was like, all right, we want to do a bourbon-based RTD. You said conception. How does What does conception look like? Is it for us to say, hey, we got this cocktail in mind. We want to do a, I mean, let's take the easy one. We can do a regular old-fashioned. Or is it, I think there's some things that we can experiment here that haven't been done before. So how does how does that process work? When it's derby season, the city of Louisville comes alive, and happening on Thursday, April 11th, is the Republic Bank Kentucky Derby Festival's Bourbonville. This is the third straight year Bourbonville will take place at the Fraser History Museum. Enjoy signature drinks, bourbon-inspired cuisine, access to museum exhibits, and tons of other bourbon vendors such as Elijah Craig, Four Gate, Four Roses, Kentucky Peerless, Pursuit Spirits, Castle and Key, and so many more. General admission is only $75, and that includes all your food, drinks, and museum admission. Go ahead, buy tickets now at kdf.org for Bourbonville. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. All right, so Ryan and I, of course, and listeners here, we love bourbon. So we was like, all right, we want to do a bourbon-based RTD. You said conception. 
how does what does conception look like? Is it for us to say, hey, we got this cocktail in mind. We want to do a, I mean, let's take the easy one. We do a regular old fashioned, or is it? I think there's some things that we can experiment here that haven't been done before. So how does how does that process work? Yeah, ideally you'd approach us with your dream beverage that you want to create. <laughs> Not be like, guys, figure it out for me. <laughs> uh, and the most successful products and the most successful beverage businesses have always started with at least hints of that clear vision because there has to be passion for the team. If you've got four people that are re- you know, recreating a cocktail but no one believes in it, that's that's recipe for not having a successful business. So it's got to start with that passion and love for the project. Past that, absolutely, will help you dial in details. So as you look at different juices, different components, different flavors that you're trying to create, and I really think the quality of the spirit absolutely comes into play for that first step. So we would talk about both the classification of the spirit as well as well the, what you're trying to do with that spirit base. So for whiskey, we would talk about, is that a rye whiskey? Are you going to do a two-year-old whiskey base? Is this, are you wanting to lean more into corn notes? Are we going to go into absolutely, do you want this to be bourbon? And if so, what type of bourbon, what Yeah, what is the classification, I guess, if you want to do a bourbon RTD, does it have to be 100% bourbon or can it be 20% bourbon and neutral grain spirits mixed with this? Or is there, is there a classification for RTDs, I guess? Yeah, there, there certainly are, and it'll change throughout different concepts. Some of the whiskey base elements could absolutely have other spirits blended in that could come into play. You really get into uh, part of your uh, Moonshine University right. recent class would have... Uh, He's learned so much. <laughs> we uh, go over the beverage alcohol manual from the TTB, which hasn't been updated much since 2012. Yeah, I fell but, asleep during that one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got a it's got a lot of good rules that haven't changed too much since that time. And one of the things that's fantastic about the good old Tax and Trade Bureau is some of those rules are are very clear. They're very black and white. They really set the stage for building a project to a certain degree as well. For bourbon and and absolutely to get into bourbon RTDs, got to start with bourbon. Yeah. So I guess what would be the difference? I guess you know it's like a flavored bourbon like evan williams honey or wild turkey honey or some versus a honey can cocktail you know i guess what what's the difference um, usually alcohol percentage comes into play as you get into serving size and what's going to go into a 12 ounce can versus a 750 ml bottle as well as you start looking at who your consumer is so maybe that 12 ounce can is part of your gateway for your business that you want to introduce and do some fun different things for your brand and you want to sell them a product that's twelve ninety nine and fifteen ninety nine before you introduce them into that forty dollar and sixty dollar bottle. And so I think those serve different purposes. From technical parameters, absolutely cans would have different elements. So you get into salts corrosive to cans and coppers corrosive to cans. So if that bourbon can, can you explain those real quick? Because I, this is all all new to me. Yeah. So copper is an example. You know, something, a spirit comes from copper steels, which, well, we love. Right? No, we do, we do. <laughs> Big fan of that. So you would need to test those copper levels that are present in that. And actually copper can come off that copper steel and, and leak into that spirit. Well, if that's above a certain threshold, that would be corrosive to a can, which could cause cans to leak. 
So those are the kind of things you have to look out for. You'll have tools that you just basically pull it in and get a parameter out of it or? Yeah. So we have a reading, should I say? A lot of fun science equipment in the lab, uh, as well as a lot of good partners in the industry that we work with on those type things. So we have full HPLC and gas chromatograph and all those good things that we would really start to deep dive into uh, beverage analysis on so many different levels. We're looking at titratable acidity and pH and in particular, pH for today's purposes really affects so much color of products, absolutely affects taste. But in cans, you have to be between 2.5 to 4.0 to really be within that, that can for a TTB type cocktail that we're talking about. And that would be an issue if uh, you got too much copper, throw uh, making a couple margarita style drinks and you throw too much salt in there. And that would uh, would cause some issues downstream that would be... Yeah, is there anything with like the acid, you know, like with the lime juice or anything like citric, you know, that citrus or guess? You can help use to balance out. You really want to look at how much you use, but back to a flavorful cocktail, it's your friend. So you're adding some juice in there, like lime juice. And well, I'm saying, do they have any effect on the, the canning process, you know, like copper does or salt? It does, and, and absolutely, depending on your alcohol levels is where that really comes into play as well. So if you're making ready-to-drink cocktails that are 5% to 10% ABV, those need to be treated very differently than you're making cocktails that are 17% and 30% ABV. <laughs> sure. So a lot of the bourbon cocktails, RTDs I have, are you know upwards of 9 10 11%. And I love them, but I can't sit there and you know have like a you know, six of them, like a can of high noon or something that's like, you know, five. Well, you could. You would well, you just, could, you, but you'd I'd be mean, a different person at the end. My, my wife would be pissed <laughs> on the lake because I'd be face down on a raft on, <laughs> on the lake. But There's uh, a waterfall. Uh, <laughs> you know, I guess talk about the alcohol percentage. Like, why is it so high? It seems like with whiskey versus, you know, the clear base spirits. I think it's whiskey drinkers being a little bit more full speed of where they position themselves. I like full speed in, in, <laughs> in those products as well. If you look at your seltzers and even sugar brew based products, so your White Claw Truly type elements that are, you know, 4%, 5% in that range. Are they, and, are the, sorry, I don't mean to, are those like a malt based, sugar based? Is that cheaper versus having like a vodka based or something? Like, why is that why somebody would go that route? It can be. And, a, and the secondary portion is your distribution angles of those drinks. So when you get into state distribution laws, those products oh, yeah. could go into grocery stores versus your liquor stores. Yeah, as we're seeing with Fireball right now. Yeah, the, exactly. Big yeah. Topic news. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because I, as a drinker of these products, like I know a huge difference with the malt base versus like a spirits base. Like the malt base guys, like makes it makes me bloated. Like beer gives me more heartburn or this and that. You know, whereas the spirits base, like I feel like it's a much cleaner, refreshing type product. Why is that? Well, sugar brew is fermented sugar, and when you even for the malt bases, it absolutely is. Uh, you're starting with a base that is not as clean or neutral by itself in doing that. And so speaking totally before sugar and juice and flavors and everything else that's beautiful about brewing processes, there's a certain part of sugar brew that it just tastes like bad beer that you left <laughs> in your trunk over the weekend. <laughs> uh, so that you need a lot of a lot of love and a lot of work afterwards. You know, it's uh, what's the old adage that when you're in the distillery or in the vineyards, you need a lot of good beer uh, to get through the work process. 
Well, that, uh, you need you need a couple couple distillates wouldn't hurt during part of that sugar brew process as well. So I think that uh, that comes into play for those type drinks and beverages. You start with a base that, in those instances, that you have to work through some of the things that are present in that characteristic. Whereas vodka and grain neutral spirit, you're trying to start with as neutral of a base. But that base is actually a little bit cleaner and better probably than that sugar brew at times and really depends on the style of drink, your distribution, your marketing, your route, what you're looking to do for your developments. Yeah, that makes sense. So so speaking of sugar, I mean, this just kind of came to mind because you have the idea of, of, of sugars and sweeteners. You have natural actually like actual juice that can go into stuff as well that can provide natural sugars into it. And I know that as a as a consumer myself, we're now at the point where we turn a bottle around and we'll see exactly how much percentage of sugars are are into this product or carbohydrates or whatever it is, you know, whether you're eating or drinking. You're very the modern day consumer is is know knows that today's America's products are all process and it's just overly done to the point americans like sweet shit (laughs) they do yeah but but how do you come to a customer that that says like okay like this is 32 grams of sugar like we need to get this at least cut in half or like ideally down to eight like how do you how do you do that and how do you find the flavors that can still maintain the character that you want to provide in the end product but you want to be health conscious enough that you're not sitting there taking down 32% of your daily sugars in one drink. Yeah. So one of the things we have to do for disclaimers in particular for alcohol category is talk about how health claims cannot be made with alcohol products. So you pick up a lot of calories just from the alcohol itself. Jordan, you and I were talking about sugar the other day in the office and how do you feel about sugar and drinks? Well, I do like sugar, but uh, (laughs) who doesn't? It's a natural, you know, it's like a, primal thing it's like sweet and salty you know that those are two two flavors we love yeah absolutely and you brought up calories and i think that's what it boils down to the consumer every single time is how much calorie how many calories are in this beverage that i'm going to consume and ready to drink cocktails are in a great category because they don't have to list all of the ingredients in their concoction right that they're delivering to the public maybe like a soda does or a different functional beverage has to on the back of the label and so a lot of consumers are going to demand that kind of transparency but it's not necessarily required yeah i was about to say because i mean that's what half of all mick ultra's advertising all is it's like yeah we're x amount of calories we're 10 less carbs or five yeah and i think that's why the high noons my wife got me onto those because she was like oh there's zero sugar and 100 calories but no carbs or what are two carbs or whatever versus you know xyz you know so so how does how do you get around that as as somebody that comes in and says like oh i want an old-fashioned rtd but i want it to be sugar-free like is that even possible yeah i want it 50 proof and i want it 50 calories yeah (laughs) (laughs) good i like that starts with showing them the differences so that absolutely they can taste those and and know for themselves you can use alternative sweeteners with developments and there are companies that you'll see in the rtd space that will actually uniquely i've I've seen two this past week that say and artificial sweeteners on their rtd category there could be in the consumer's mindset that maybe that has a a diet aspect because artificial sweeteners are usually used in, in diet drinks most importantly 
every sweetener that you use with alcohol is going to contribute different natural characteristics. Sure. So where stevia has a very black licorice, stevial glycoside type characteristic to it, well, alcohol is just going to pronounce that more as you taste it and, and with your sensory. So sugar is a, oh man, sugar and alcohol go together so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, cause, you know, to bring back Kenny's point, like with whiskey cocktails, RTDs, I see that high sugar content. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but like with the vodka base or tequila base, I don't see that. It's, it seems like they're able to use more. Is that just simply to the neutrality of the, the spirit, I guess, versus? Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, the natural sweeteners that are used at distilleries and in the end process. And of course, for many centuries, that absolutely has been high fructose corn syrup. And for a long time, it's been uh, variant forms of sugar. So an invert syrup or a liquid sucrose that's used in large tanks at production facilities as well, which is to a certain degree commercials, you know, a simple syrup. Yeah. I mean, that's what the thing is. Ryan said people like sweet stuff and that's exactly what it comes they down like to. They like sweet stuff, but they don't want the the it, number on the can <laughs> to, yeah. to make them cognizant of the sugar they're taking. So is it, I mean, do you, do you see that continuing like as a trend, you know, moving forward, like with, you know, is that what customers are coming to you and like, we got to get it, we got to get the sugar down, you know, because our competitors are this, that, and that. Yeah. Customers will always have to be cognizant of how they can make their drinks both more sustainable and absolutely to certain degrees, more health conscious or health aware. So while you cannot make health claims with several of those drinks, they absolutely are, are looking for ways to still absolutely be good stewards of their craft in that process. And, you know, cutting, that's why folks like us can show you five grams of sugar versus 10 grams of sugar in a development. And it, it really is a function of taste, you know, out of, I don't want to live in a world with old fashioned without sugar. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's, it's not a world for me. But well, I want to make sure I've we got don't we room. don't want like the ground cubes, right? But we want, but it, there is a sweet. We do want that simple profile. sour. Yeah, and I mean, like not a, simple sour, simple simple syrup, simple syrup, simple yeah. syrup, and you got you know a little bit of luxato cherry juice in there, and so you do have that that natural flavor in there too. I know. I don't want to do an analysis on my old fashioned <laughs> that I make because it's it is sweet and good. I love. <laughs> And so the other thing, as I think about this, is like, so there's a there's a broad category of of RTDs. You have the ready to pour, I guess you could say, from a from a glass. You have some of the other smaller form factors that are crack it open, ready to pour. But you also have some that are in the regular can that are almost a bubbly aspect, a, a soda like aspect. So. Carbonated, yeah. Carbonated, thank you. That's what I'm looking for. So how do you d determine and define through this process of like, how do you create something that is ready to pour over ice or rather to just drink out of the can? Yeah, so those will start with the idea that they should be ambient uh, shelf temperature stored and shipped throughout distribution channels, absolutely. But for the points of sugar and concentration and water and you know, how is this intended serving? We'll, we'll show those differences during development. And it absolutely comes into mind if someone's like, hey, this will be served on-premise primarily at restaurants. And we intend to, uh, for the best case showing for this to be served over ice. Yeah. So talk about, I mean, I would have to, because I like I've, you know, left, you know, where I maybe went to sleep and made an old fashioned and, you know, and the next morning you see it and it's like kind of separated, you know, the different 
compounds and whatnot. That's like true. That's like true. how do you stabilize all those ingredients, you know, throughout and like what's a typical shelf life of a canned cocktail versus a glass one or is there any difference or depends on ingredients so much. So for the ones that are using juice, that juice needs to be pasteurized or processed or treated through alcohol absolutely differently. So if a drink has 1%, 3%, 10% lime juice from a human safety element, same thing as non-alcoholic drinks, that juice needs to be pasteurized. So that uh, most common method would be tunnel pasteurization for a can RTD. And that essentially runs hot water at 150 to 165 degrees over cans as they go through a big heat exchanger. It looks like a microwave, right? And they're just coming down assembly line and that pasteurizes both the packaging as well as the liquid inside that packaging. One of the things when we build projects, the first thing always starts with safety. And then the second part is deliciousness. Yeah, uh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. One of the cool things we did with Moonshine University was like how you can... uh put products on the market while, you know, especially for like a whiskey distillery who's waiting for, you know, their product to age and this and that. And you give them kind of a formula, like how to get product out there now to like something they can sell now. Like what kind of got us through that, that process, you know, like I'm, I'm a distillery. I don't have my distill yet, but I want to put something like that. I can get to my customers. How do you kind of, I'm like, Hey, I just need, are you trying to think of a shortcut or are you just thinking of just a, they need money in the bank, and so you got to yeah. find ways to do that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess the product solutions you have for folks that are wanting to start a distillery or a brand that necessarily are waiting—you know—they're making their own stuff. But what can you can offer to a customer, you know, to to get product on shelf sooner? I guess. Yeah, most clients will spend four to six months research and development of a project, and there is no one size fits all. It's about creating the dream drink that you want to release. Most clients will launch those beverages usually in eight to 12 months. Now, as you know, everything takes a year in this business. That does. There's a, there was a Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, additive where it's like, everything takes longer than you think. And it's like slow, fast, slow, fast. (laughs) And, uh, you know, while those barrels are aging and you want things to say different things and you're, you're waiting on two years and then you find out you got a city fire code and your electric's coming by and. You know, the, the six other operational things are going to take you six months to a year longer than you thought. This is where building business and having different product lines to be able to have some revenue for your business can be very vital, especially for startup distillers. For those that are existing and, and looking to branch out into different profitability, you know, if you have gins, it absolutely makes sense for you to come out with it your own tonic line if you have the market for it and to be able to serve that gin and tonic so we always try to help you build that additional income that works within specifically the products that you talk about daily and the ones that you're passionate about in that process and back to the quality of the spirit that's where we really build those products if they're doing rtds so we're going to walk through if you're going to do tequila we'll walk through mixed out tequila options Bulk tequila can only be sent to the U.S. for production as 51% blue agave and 49% other fermentables. So it starts with tasting your different mixed out tequilas. Whereas we'll walk through if you want that to say 100% blue agave tequila, well, you're going to have to produce that in Mexico. Yeah. And I guess even to just the quality of the spirits as well is that when you go down this path, we've, we've seen a lot of different people you know come out with uh, different types of base of RTDs, but 
at what point is it like, okay, we don't need your eight-year bourbon to be in an RTD, right? It, it, does it make more sense to say, you know, we can get away with a two-year bourbon in this? That's it, what, like with Sagmores, it had to, I was like, it's a damn four-year age-stated. <laughs> that's what they did you know, in their, in their like, Kansas. Four, yeah, four-year age-stated RTD. It's like, it, at some point, does it like, like, we don't need to do that. Like, we can, we can stretch a barrel further. We can utilize the flavors. And because at the end of the day, it's like, how much actual whiskey is going into this, right? We said somewhere between five to 12% sometimes like that, right? 20%. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know if we want to get to 20%. I mean, you just said you wanted to go on the boat and drink these all day. So you don't want 20% in there. Well, it depends how big your batch is <laughs> <laughs> and how big the boat is. Yeah, right. right. There you go. <laughs> Who's your captain? Uh, so uh, as you go through those bases and to be able to determine that final product and what you want that alcohol percentage to be, is this a four pack that I, you know, while with, of course, moderation, could someone have four of these <laughs> in a setting and what, you know, that 5% versus 20%, that, that's a whole different experience. So uh, we always want to make sure that we're building responsible products, but as well, things that align to people's passions and tastes. In doing that, there's no question that I now want to make a series of, I'm going to get Jordan involved. This is actually going to be the bourbon pursuit boat cocktail. There we go. Help bring to life. I'm and, in. Uh, we're we're in. That's the trade agreement. Right? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Let's, <laughs> sign, let's sign on the dotted line now. I don't even know what it is, but I'm in. Uh, and as we do that and process, I think that one of the things we'll, we'll go through different, we'll explore actually, we'll try a couple different two-year-old and eight-year-old. But I would say if we're a costing model consideration, boy, that eight-year-old's going to be different. Yes. Operational productions really do come into play as you build these drinks as well. So a lot of co-packaging facilities that would can cocktails, whether they're nitrogen-dose steel beverages or whether they're carbonated beverages, a lot of those facilities actually don't have barrel filtration set up. So for someone who's actually doing a four-year whiskey like that example, man, that's cool because they, they actually have to dump those barrels and do barrel filtration. So that comes into play of, of your quality of spirit and what you want to say too. Oh, sure. uh, but that's more of a specialty and a rarity when someone has that barrel filtration set up for a canning facility. I mean, this has been an eye-opening experience for me because just how much involvement you have all had inside of the spirits industry, even though if you're kind of in, in, the, in the, the behind the curtain, if you will, I think is probably the best way to be able to put it. But just the ability to kind of know exactly what it takes to build a whiskey based RTD. It's not as easy as it sounds. No, I, one, I was going to ask what, like, you know, say we're doing the bourbon pursuit boat, whatever. Boat <laughs> yeah, drink. It's a cocktail. It's a cocktail. <laughs> the boat drink. We don't know uh, what it is. I mean, maybe some banana, maybe some bourbon, you know, whatever. What? So like, what's a minimal run that we need to like, say like, this is the juice is worth the squeeze, I guess. Or like, is it like 20,000 cans, 5,000 cans? Like, what do you typically recommend? I guess, you know, we're going to do this, this boat punch or whatever. So yeah, to get, <laughs> so to get uh, T Pain and Andy Sandberg both involved. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man! Uh, or, well, now now we now we just blew the budget. Or we just bring the sock back. <laughs> <laughs> so Socko, sorry, Socko. Uh, well, uh, you know what? This is one of those where it's like, well, we couldn't get both of the step brothers. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, usually you would start a beverage like that around a 2,000-gallon-plus production. And for your purposes, that's going to yield 
850 plus cases of a 24 count product that you'd package out into four oh, pack wow. or six pack cocktails. I can't do that math. It's a lot. No, We're, no. I don't even know. Like, all you got to do is get rid of one to each Publix in Florida and you're good. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to fill the boat. Yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll fill and the then, boat. Yeah. And if you're, if you're on a boat in Florida, well, we might need a couple. You might need a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> Start two tanks. Yeah. I mean, this was great. I think we've, we've learned a ton. Any other kind of questions you want to throw at them that you got in your kind of spinning up there? Yeah, what are the, I guess. I knew, I knew there was well, had to be one more. Well, yeah, what is that kind of like, uh, just saying for like people listening that are, because a lot of, we have a lot of industry folks that are craft distillers or this or that. What's like kind of that initial, you know, cost or investment they need to like say, okay, this is something I need to think about. If I want to do this, I need to like budget this to like just start the conversation. You know, so th- that way they're not like, Hey, I really want to start drinking. They're bothering you, and you're like, "Oh," then they're like, "Oh no." Yeah, yeah you get a lot of emails, and then be like, "That eh, never mind." It's very uh, project specific. Well, sure, yeah. Saying, I guess, saying like, "Okay, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to like offer a good cocktail RTD that you all have had success with, um, but using kind of a little bit of our input. But we're not trying to like create custom." Even though I know you said everything's custom, <laughs> everything's here. custom. But we're kind of picking from your library of existing, you know, flavors, not creating our own individual ones. Mm-hmm. We would help walk through, and vice versa. What would it be if I needed a custom, you know, syrup or whatever? <laughs> yeah, we would do uh, just for starting reference. Most people start within fifteen to twenty thousand of of development, and it's really more of a project evaluation of everything that goes into that from operational costs. Versus where evaluating a per skew type element. So that could involve six different flavored uh, whiskeys or are ready to drink cocktails, for example, within that development work. Getting your beverage off the ground and evaluating all your packaging costs, your production costs, your marketing costs. Well, it sure would help if you had 250 grand. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, let's let's be realistic. If everybody that's, you know, chased their dreams has had to rub two nickels together to, you know, keep the lights on. And and I think that if I had to pick something and, and Jordan will probably speak to this too, that is absolutely the most rewarding about what we do. It's helping people at those different stages. The number of times I've talked to a distiller of, hey, we're thinking about doing this, we're thinking about starting the distillery. Is this even a viable project? And a lot of those folks will have either in you know a, a five gallon steel that maybe came from dad somewhere, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and some of them will have some of those different recipes, and we get to help commercialize those folks and bring that to life. That that is every bit rewarding of what we do every day. I yeah. love it. Yeah, it's, it's those partnerships cool. that make those meaningful relationships that are, you know, long lasting. So yeah, that's very cool. And one last question, we kind of. So like, all right, because you all had like a, I can't remember what you called it, but it was your canning line that's like a, it's had a concept. Well, no, it had a name to it. I can't remember. Challenge bottling. Challenge bottling. Yes. So all right, you do it there. Everything works out. Is pretty much like every canning facility can they take that and it's like a plug and play. You know, once you graduate from there, or is it like kind of regionalized? Like, like I guess can you once you prove success there. You can take that and say other co-packers run with this. Yeah, they'd be able to scale their business. And as they go through those different phases of, well, I'm doing a 2,000-gallon production, and now I'm doing 4,000, and now I'm doing 10,000. 
and you'll have different facilities and different experiences and different equipment needs as you go through those channels. So you might start locally at your distillery in Alabama, Mississippi, and the great state of Kentucky. And as you are launching that product to start, you might not have needs for a ready-to-drink cocktail that can be in 24 cans packed loose. It's going to go into Costco or Sam's. <laughs> but then uh, yes, you pick up distributors and grow different channels, but that's a place you'd like to grow. So I think it's uh, looking at your evaluation needs. You don't need a four-pack carton and a whole lot of fancy packaging if you're selling it all behind the bar and just to go from your, from your local distillery. So you can really save a lot of costs. And that's where we help folks. You know, we've talked today a lot about the science of building drinks, but we're a beverage development company. We really go through the packaging and the production and and talk about all those different aspects that you need to think about and where you can save money as you're building your business. Yeah. Ron, you ready to start building RTD? do it let's do it i'm in got that free onboarding (laughs) for the bourbon boat punch there we go bourbon (laughs) boat punch coming up bourbon pursuit boat punch that's right well fellas i want to say thank you again for coming on the show today it was a lot of knowledge that you shared i think i don't think we we've never touched on this subject before we talk about rtds all the time but we've never actually dug into it and kind of understand more the science side of it more the marketing side of it there's just so much that that goes into it so i can't say thank you enough to be able to provide some of the the air cover we needed to be able to share that knowledge with our and we gotta get kenny down there to check out the facility i've I've never i was gonna touch on this but i've never everything there is like happy i don't know if there's something in that air with the flavors but everyone's like (laughs) it's just like dopamine flying everywhere (laughs) everybody was smiling and talking it was like it was a happy place i liked it america's top 100 companies to work for it 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 has to be (laughs) so if people want to get in touch with you get in touch with flavor man how would they do it yeah, you could go to flavorman.com. We got a get started form there, and that's really the best way to do it. You want to give us a little bit of information so we know how to start the conversation with you. Uh, and then the wonderful folks and Brad's team is going to reach out to you, talk to you about how to bring your dream to life and change what that world is drinking. Oh, I love change what the world is drinking. There it is. There Back it to is. the tagline. I love, I love it. it. Well, guys, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. So make sure you go and check out their website, check out some of their socials as well. Check out Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get it. Make sure you leave a review, share it with a friend. And who knows, maybe Bourbon Pursuit Boat Punch will be a thing in the future. Yeah, be on the lookout. And be on the lookout. 2029, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe sooner. Maybe sooner. (laughs) Who knows? But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Toodles.